0: learning to live in the sandwich generation.
1: You have to be intentional with the communication. And sometimes we call them difficult conversations, right?
2: Humans interact, especially after you've had your ways for 45 years on her side, we're gonna have to find some commonalities and, and some mechanics to make sure that we're not annoying each other and getting each other's way all the time.
0: On today's program, we talk about the practicalities of having a parent move into your home.
1: One thing my son told me six months ago before baby was born was, you raise your kids, I'll be raising this one. And I thought, okay.
0: Multi-generational households on today's episode of the Hear Me Now podcast from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Hello, I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for spending time with us today. Let's get some numbers out on the table because they're surprising. One in five Americans lives in a multi-generational household, 20% of us. According to analysis of census data by the Pew Research Center, a record 64 million people were living under one roof with multiple adult generations in 2016. And that was long before the coronavirus contracted the economy once again, which has added pressure to economize and pushed those numbers even higher. Multi-generational households resemble America in all of our diversity. Both Asian and Hispanic populations are growing more rapidly than whites across the country, and those groups are more likely to live in multi-generational households. Another growth factor is that foreign-born Americans are more likely than those born in the U.S. to live with multiple generations of family under one roof. That was true 150 years ago, and it's true today. 150 years ago, the families were from Donegal and Stuttgart. Today, they're from Nango and Mumbai. So while 16% of white households were multi-generational in 2016, 26% of black households were, and 27% of Hispanic, and 29% of Asian. On today's program, we'll talk about a special type of multi-generational household belonging to the sandwich generation, when adult children welcome a parent into their home as they continue to raise children of their own. We'll focus on the challenges, the benefits, and the practicalities of living with multiple generations under one roof. And any such move begins with an idea and a plan. And our first guest is at that stage. Kelby Johnson grew up in Indiana and has lived in Seattle since 2008. He's divorced with two elementary school-age kids, a daughter eight and a son five. Kelby's father died recently back in Indiana, and he and his mother are planning for her to move from Indiana to Seattle in the spring. Kelby joins me now from Seattle. Hi, Kelby. Thanks for taking part in the conversation today.
2: Hi, thanks a lot for having me.
0: So how did you and your mom start to talk about her living with you?
2: Well, I mean, it wasn't even a thought, to be honest with you. It was just a thing. I knew that it was going to happen because she was an only child. I'm an only child. Our, her parents passed uh, seven, eight years ago, and aunts and uncles are gone. And so in Indiana, there's nothing for her except for a big house that she can't manage. She's going to be 70 next year. She's got all of her faculties. She's fairly mm-hmm. spry for a 70 year old. And it was just this is what this is the path it has to be. And it's it's interesting that you ask the kind of the plan, how that conversation happened, because just yesterday, all jokes aside, um, I talked to her almost every day, you know, because she's lonely. Uh, her life partner for whatever, 45 years is gone now. Um, but I try to call her every day. And um, she mentioned without before we even started, before I could even say anything. She said, you know what? I want to just say thank you for making this so easy. You didn't it, you didn't even bat an eye. And I was like, well, I why, why would I? I was like, you put up with me for 25 years. The least I can do is, is have you come and, and live with me. I mean, that's the only way to do it. And she was like, well, there's a, there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't think like that. And I was like, maybe, but I was raised by great people. And this is the, it was never even an option to think about. So the conversation to answer your question was really simple.
0: What are you looking forward to?
2: In my mind, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, for my kids, it's going to be great for them to have grandma around. And, and all that time, you know, that letting her um, spend time and get to experience them because, you know, Indiana's a you know, four hour plane right away. And so she comes out every quarter anyway, but having her around all the time is going to be really nice for them to, to, to grow up with their with grandmother. So that is something I'm very, very much looking forward to. I've been divorced since 2017. So I've embraced my house and my selfish tendencies, um, <laughs> to be totally candid. Um, and so it's going to be, uh, I'm trying to get my head around the, the real change that it's going to be to have another human in in my house. I have a, I'm, a I feel very blessed. I have a, a nice home. It's three stories. The kids in my bedroom are upstairs, the main floor. And then I have a, a basically an in-law suite in the basement. That's where my mom will be. And so there's going to be enough space to separate and stuff, but it's just the. and we're buddies to be crystal clear. My mom and I are buddies. We always have been um, it, so that I don't pr- anticipate any issues, but, you know, with human humans interact, especially after you've had your ways for 45 years on her side and the last three years on my side, we're going to have to find some commonalities and, and some mechanics to make sure that we're not annoying each other and getting each other's way all the time. So it's, it's, I'm super excited about it because I love my mom. The kids are going to love them. My neighbors, my, my friend network here, they love her. Um, and so it's going to be a really nice way for her to kind of ha- move into a new family. So
0: I'm super excited about it. It's great. Let's introduce our other guest with us this hour. Crystal Walsh is a manager of supportive services for Providence Trinity Care Hospice and Trinity Care Kids. And she joins us from Rancho Santa Margarita, California. Crystal, welcome.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to get to know your story, Kelby, and and just be a part of this process. So thank you so much.
0: As I understand it, Crystal, you you helped take care of your mom, or were you the sole caretaker of your mom?
1: So 27 years ago, when my dad died, my mom was ill. She was in the middle of chemotherapy, and she had been chronically ill on oxygen. So we were always kind of supplementing what my dad was doing, but when he died unexpectedly, my sister and I were faced with taking care of our mom, and we were at the time between the two of us, we had six little kids. For quite a few years, we became her caregivers, and we ended up moving her closer to us. We wanted the irony that your mom wants to live with you is beautiful. We wanted my mom to live with either my sister or I, and she refused. I'm not sure what that means right (laughs) I try not thinking back I at the time it was devastating but she must have had some great reasons so we really managed her care we moved her to a condo near us so we were a mile away but it was a lot overseeing and being present for her care without her being in our home and she she felt that she didn't want to be a burden to us but the irony was, I think, looking back all these years later, it would have been so much easier if she would have just come to one of our
2: homes. My mom, who knows, she could come out here and in a year or six months. She's like, I'm, I'm done with you. Go help me find it. Help me find it. Kind of, that could happen. But, you know, I think that we'll figure it out along the way because this is all new territory.
1: It is, you know, I, I would encourage you to really talk about expectations. Your mom sounds lovely, and I love that she's been coming to visit. So she's already some, established some habits and patterns, being in your home, being with, you mentioned your friends. I love that. And and being a grandmother to your, your sweet children, that's awesome. But the expectation will look different. She's not visiting anymore. This now is going to be home.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. She's already yeah. planted the seed if she he see that he wants a recliner, and I'm like, I have a couch sectional in the basement. I'm, I'm trying in my mind to figure out, okay, where is that gonna work? And so little <laughs> things okay. like that that you have, to, you do have to think about. So I think you're right. That's good advice to, to think about and talk to her about what are those expectations and stuff.
1: Well, and in keeping in mind, she's recently widowed. She lost her husband of all those sweet years. So, you know, I, I think about that, too. Her life has been flipped in a moment, too, right? You have you have opened your home and your, your lovely family, and you want your mom. And I love that you're pals. I kind of think I'm pals with my son, too. I have a son and daughter. My children are grown now. But I think of my son as he's he's my buddy, right? Um yeah. I can reach out to him at two o'clock in the morning and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? And he's like, okay, hold on, mom, let me wake up. <laughs> but my daughter, if I were to call her, she would say, is this an emergency? Is something bleeding or on fire? Why are you calling me? So I love that you have that that sweet relationship with your mom. That's, that's a great foundation.
0: You know, it's Kelby, I, I think about, like Crystal said, I think about your mom being recently widowed, but I also think, you know, when she moves, She's going to be losing all of her support networks that she's had over the years, her friends, places that she goes to for comfort. All of those things that she's relied on aren't going to be there for her. That's a lot of loss that mounts on top of itself um, all at once. And I I wonder if she's prepared for that.
2: I, I- think so i mean we've talked about it you know not in, in any depth like like crystal said talking about the expectations and stuff but you know we've talked about okay w- what do i need to look for for your dentist for your heart what 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 doctors do you need um how are we going what do we need to do about transferring your insurance and all of those things uh your banks and so all of those logistics those aren't necessarily the, the comfort things but you know i think she's as as crystal mentioned she has and i mentioned she's been out here for the last you know eight or 10 years i mean I've, I've lived in seattle for 10 years and she's always coming out but once we have kids um she started trying to come out at least once a quarter um and she stays for a couple of weeks and so she has she's met my entire friend network and there's a lot of the, the the moms of the kids friends that she she's talked to and had really deep conversations with and related to i think so i think that she'll have some semblance of that um you know and of course i'd like to think that i i can make time or she would be interested in Finding like meetups or whatever um, where she could, you know, talk to other people that have gone through these things, support groups, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, I also know my mom; she would prefer to watch The Voice versus trying to make make new <laughs> friends. And so I think she'll she'll find comfort in the network that she knows already, no. and then you know have the comforts of you know the home that she's she's been in many many times already. So. Uh, it'll be an interesting transition, but I think you're right. It's that that it's a lot for her to process, let alone me thinking about my selfish needs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's an easy fix.
1: Well, and in, in the communication, so expectation and communication, those two things. I think we we assume that we are all great communicators until something goes left turn, right. And so you're you're very articulate, but you have to be intentional with the communication. And sometimes we call them difficult conversations, right, about what that looks like and getting adjusted and giving everyone space. But to be intentional with the communication and then once you've had it, then it's over with and then you get to move on to to some of the fun things. This is going to be fun having your mom there, right? It's going to be fun. It's going to be an adjustment. But you want to be intentional too about making sure that you're open and that she's open.
2: Yeah, my priority in life are, are my kids. I mean, yep. period, Full we'll will stop them. And that's that's the, I tried the dating thing after I, after I got divorced and I was like, you know what? I just want to see these two little humans grow up to be the best versions of themselves. And so there's a part of me that is, when I mentioned selfishness, there's a part of me that doesn't want to share the, that kernel of, yeah. of my babies, you know, because they will always be my babies, even though they're eight yep. or five. Um, but then I also know my mother dotes over them as well. So they're, they're going to get so much love and affection when between the two of us, when, when she comes out here. So it's all yeah. going to be good. It's going to be it's good. It's going to be her. great. Yeah, but But to
1: allow her to be, I'm a new grandma, so my my grandbaby's five months old. So I'm trying not to be, you know, too much in their business. But the second they call, I stop, drop, and roll, right? And so when I come into their home, I I try to be mindful it's their home, and but I I'm wanting to have all hands on deck on on this baby, and I can only imagine your mom will want to have all hands on deck too. But to your point, those are your babies. And you, she had you, and you had them. So I try to keep that in mind. Your mom sounds like she's very intuitive too, as you describe her. And so she'll, she'll, us moms kind of go with the role too a little bit. So I want to give your mom a whole, but I'm going to be on mom camp for a moment. I want to give her some credit because she'll, she raised you, and you're a great human being. And so she'll go with the role too. Yeah.
2: Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're-
0: Crystal, in your work at Trinity Care um, Mm -hmm. Hospice, you must see families um, Mm -hmm. come into hospice who are transitioning from a multi-generational home or hospice care is being provided in a multi-generational home. Yes. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit about what you notice um, in general about the degree of care that goes on in that setting?
1: sure that's a great question we do take care of a lot of different scenarios in end of life with trinity care hospice when we come into a family and when we approach end of life care and it's a multi-generational family a lot of concentration goes initially into the children that are into the home because as parents and kind of we've talked a little bit about this as parents we want to protect our kids but we also want to care for our our loved ones particularly our parents and our grandparents. So we, we really take a team approach and we divide our disciplines so that we can make sure that the kids are coping and that we're honest and we help the parents teach their children about what's coming. The other side to this is that sometimes families are not living multi-generational until they have this devastating news that their loved ones dying, and they move their loved one into the home to die. And those a little more on the crisis intervention model so now instead of everyone always living together now their their mom or their dad or grandma or grandpa has moved in to die there so the dynamics we do the same type of work it's just a little faster pace in doing that
2: there's no there's no playbook for this I mean every <laughs> most situations are different um, yep. you know, uh, as, as a Gen X sandwich generation like we talked about you know mm-hmm. like you said. I have to make sure that my littles are are cared for. They're challenged socially, mentally, emotionally, all those things, right. and myself as well. I have I love like muscle therapy. I like CrossFit. That's something that I go. That's my outlet. That's my meditation version of it. And then you know making sure that my mom has outlets as well. So it's like figuring out this, which I love puzzles. <laughs> uh, figuring out how to put these pieces in this puzzle together to make sure that everybody's whole. And as you said, you know just just c- caring for all the, all those people because they're, they're all their life is so precious. Yeah. And talking to, talking to kids about the future because you know, I, I talked to my, <clears throat> my kids about my dad passing um, mm. and I had to leave to go to Indiana and I set them down and I was like, you know look, uh, Grandpa passed away and they were pretty tight with them. I mean we would go there every summer so we're in their pool. we'd Skype with them at least two or three times a week. so they, they were there they had their relationship. Um, and my daughter, eight, she just started bawling, and my little guy, Rowan, was like, so uh, grandpa's gone? He's dead? He got, uh, yeah, buddy, he's dead. Can I go now? <laughs> That's of a five-year-old, right? Um, McKenna and I talked about it, and um, it was just kind of like, look, you know, he's, he's gone, but he lives on with us. I'm a believer right. that we're all energy sources, and we're vibrating at different frequencies, and this yep. body that we have, we occupy this space and time, is a vessel, and I try to convey to my kids that grandpa's energy is still with us. And I I, I want to believe that that is, that is true because I, I, I feel it, you know, and I want them to feel it. And so, like you yes. said, helping them understand that, uh, yes, death and uh, end-of-life planning is a challenging thing. Of course, you're not going to talk about it to an eight- and five-year-old, but you have to have those difficult conversations because that's where you can help them um, tra- you know, um, navigate that when it happens. Like, this whole that's thing... It's, it's really interesting because my daughter, eight, um, has said at least three or four times since my dad passed, um, asked me, what happens when we die? I'm worried about what's, what happens when we die. I don't know what happens when we die. She's asking me these questions, which is great. And I encourage her to ask those questions, but I tell her, nobody knows. We don't have the answer. It's a belief. It's what do you want to believe could happen? You yep. could go in the ground and that's it. You could evolve and have be an energy, and you're just out there, or you could be reincarnated. There's all different perspectives of what could happen, and I'm just trying to open the aperture for us so that she is not scared of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, I, you know, that's the best thing we can do for our children. That's what your mom did for you. If you think back, and you know, whatever your your recollection goes back to that first age, parents roles are to decrease anxiety and fear and to to grow individuals into being whole and purposeful with intent so having those conversations you may not have the answer and i think it's okay to tell our children i don't know i'm not sure right because that's the truth and and bringing truth forward i I think as humans we are so much better with the truth if you if you try to sketch around the truth, it it eventually catches you. And children know. And you know we talk about developmental stages. And as and you and your mom are in different developmental stages, like you and your children. So as you prepare for her to come and live with you, keep that in mind too. The developmental stages are different. Your needs and your age and your um, season of life are going to be different than hers. And, and what does that look like when you bring it together in the same home? So developmental and your kids developmentally, they're different. You have a boy, you have a girl, that's different as well. So keeping that in mind as well will, will only serve you.
0: We're talking about multi-generational households today. My guests are Crystal Walsh, licensed clinical social worker, with Providence Trinity Care Hospice, and Kelby Johnson, Content Strategy Director for Providence. We'll continue the conversation on the Hear Me Now podcast in just a minute. Stay with us. You are with the Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. We welcome your feedback about what you're hearing and what you'd like to hear on the program. Write to us at humancaringprovidence.org. Jennifer Liddell lives in South Bend, Indiana, with her husband and three kids. I spoke with her on the phone yesterday, and she told me that her mom has multiple sclerosis and has used a wheelchair for much of her life. She came to live with Jennifer's family when her kids were still relatively young.
3: I always knew at some point my mother was going to live with us just because of her MS and her uh, temperament. I I did not foresee her living in an assisted living facility. And so my husband and I had already discussed the possibility of mom having to to stay with us at one point. And so she moved in, things were a little cramped. We looked to find a bigger space and we also did some renovations on a bathroom for her. And so, um, yeah, she stayed with us for, for about three years.
0: What was it like for you to have that role reversal?
3: I would say I have always, in some sense, been a caretaker for her. Hmm. So that means taking her to the doctor, going to the grocery store, um, helping her around the house, things of that nature. However, when she moved in, it took away some of that travel time and some of that extra doing. And once again, as I mentioned, I'm the only child, so a lot in all of that you know, fell on to me or if my husband was available, you know, he goes and and helps her as well. So it just ended up being more of a convenience slash safety situation. I would say the biggest shift was for my children, though.
0: (laughs) Tell me about that.
3: They had to, in turn, deal with having, say, another parent in the house. And so it was difficult to draw the lines of where and who to listen to when directions were being given. So (laughs) they always knew that my husband and I were and are their parents. However, there may have been some situations where my mom gave a directive and they didn't either want to follow it or didn't feel like they should follow it or wanted to ask permission from, you know, mom and dad before doing it. So those conversations were a little difficult (laughs) at times.
0: Were they conversations with your kids or conversations with your mom? Oh,
3: they were conversations with everyone. We, you know, would have uh, family conversations about uh, what things that and they call her mama, you know, what things that um, mama could, you know, tell you to do versus what things mom and dad tell you to do. The boundaries I think became more gray for my mom because she she noticed that I was we were not raising our children the same way that, that she raised me. <laughs>
0: I know that every family is different, um, and yet I still feel like I need to ask this question. Do you have any advice for someone or any family who's considering welcoming a parent into their home? Is there something you wish you would have known?
3: Yes, I wish I would have had those boundary conversations in the beginning. Um, Those came later on. And it came more in the heat of the moment, not necessarily in the the beginning stages. And so when those conversations came up, it was they weren't handled probably in the best way because there were already a lot of emotion already surrounding what, what was happening. Um I also would advise making sure that you do your homework and get help. In the beginning, it was, especially for me with my mom having a special need, um, a disability, so to speak, I should have researched and received more home care
0: mm-hmm.
3: because it will be stressful. It's it's very noble idea to move a parent in with you, but I think laying those ground rules and those expectations out straight out of the gate would definitely, would definitely help.
0: This is all really good advice. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to share your experience with us today.
3: You're welcome.
0: Jennifer Liddell spoke with us from her home in South Bend, Indiana. Thanks a lot.
3: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Back now with Crystal Walsh and Kelby Johnson. I'm curious what the two of you heard in that conversation.
1: I love that she said, I've always been a caretaker. When she said that, a light bulb went off for me because me too. My mom didn't drive when I was growing up. The day I turned 16, my dad took me to the DMV to get my license. I became the driver in the family while my dad worked. So I I resonated with her. Her advice about boundary and another parent in the home, to to her point yeah um that's that's interesting the scenario is a little bit different when you bring a loved one into your home that's needing care versus someone that is independent so that that you know that puts a different spin on it
0: but to be fair you never know when someone's going to need care
1: yeah you're 100% right just like what you were saying kelby earlier that you know we bring her here and we don't know what's going to happen or, or, you know, to your point. Yes, absolutely. I love that. She talked about another parent, my envision and you're maybe your mom and you can talk about this, Kelby, but when I think of myself as a grandma, I'm like the Disneyland parent, man. When I go to see my grandbaby, I bring treats. I bring a special, but at five months old, God knows what I'll be like when they're eight and five, right? I'll be crazy. But we come thinking one role as a grandparent, and now she's coming and it's gonna be a little bit different. And so um, those are those are really important things to talk about because she can't be the Disneyland grandma all the time if she's living there, it'll be exhausting.
2: I clung on to the same similar things that you mentioned, the boundaries and expectations and then having another parent at home. And that's yeah. you know a, a real example of that um, I need to have a conversation with my mom about is when she comes Well, for Mm -hmm. Easter or whatever, she sends a care box and there's always peeps. There's always candy. There's always sugar and Disney, grandma, whatever you want to call it. And that's fine in in moderation. I'm not, I'm not a, have, I don't have a huge sweet tooth. I don't deprive my kids of sweets just to be crystal clear. They have ice cream as long as they eat their fruit, blah, blah, blah. But grandma always is like, oh, well here's another chocolate, it's okay. They're not, that, you had it when you were growing up. And I'm like, okay, well, great. And so just talking to her about like the expectations of nutrition is what I'm talking about uh, with, with the kids. They're not gonna get chocolate at eight o'clock at night just because you think it's funny. Because I have to deal with it. <laughs> and now she's going to have to deal with it.
1: <laughs> and, and you know, being respectful of one another. Um, one thing my um, my son told me six months ago before baby was born was, you raise your kids. I'll be raising this one. And I thought, oh, okay. Oh. You know, I took a little. Oh. And but he's right. I, I raised my children. I did a fantastic job with them. Uh, in my little fantasy, right? Um, but but you you raise yours, and and that I need to be respectful of of that, and I I'm sure having the conversation with your mom will will be nice. The other thing that I thought when I was listening to this young woman speaking is that. Don't wait until it gets all, you know, when you've taken the left turn, do it prophylactically. have those conversations ahead of time because in the heat of the moment, we say things that we can't take back.
2: Yep, totally. I mean, it's the same thing with kids. Like if we go to the store, we are here in the car. We are here to buy a gift for X for their birthday. You're not getting anything. Inevitably, they still ask. But at least you try to set those expectations upstream and i think with another adult um that may be a little easier and a very important conversation to have at the outset so yeah good advice you know one of the
0: things that jennifer said that struck me immediately was be prepared To do renovations to your home eminently practical to me
2: yeah yeah i mean if you have especially if you have you know special needs like ms that's no joke that's you have to figure that out you know i I feel very blessed that i mean my mother is not the pillar of health she's overweight she has bad knees she had two knee surgeries over the last couple years she had a stroke about six years ago totally recovered um so she's had some health issues and um You know, it's going to be inevitable because when you your body breaks down as you age in 70, she's not a spring chicken. So, you know, that's a good that is good advice to think about what will need to happen. Like I have um, at least 17 stairs to get up to my house. So my thinking is that she's going to get in better shape by walking up the stairs. But at what point will I have to rethink that and, and make it somehow make it easier for her to get into the house? I
0: did um, a bunch of interviews over the weekend preparing for for our visit and talked to a couple of other people in addition to Jennifer. And one of the things that came up a number of times was preparing space that was um, set aside for your parent. There was this notion of we wanted to create a space that was hers or his that they could retreat to and get away from us.
2: Yep. No, I think it's important. It's important. And, you know, if you, whether it's a tiny house out back of your house or an addition, or in my case, I have the full suite of the door to be accessible. So she can come in and out in her own way if she wants to. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's super important. And that, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. It's probably going to be spring before we can have the auction and sell all the stuff back in Indiana and before she can actually move out here. And I'm already thinking about how can I modify, how can I get some things ready in her bedroom, like a dresser and little things for the towels and stuff in the bathroom, just little basic things. So that when mm-hmm. she comes in, she knows that it's it's not like, because if you don't do those little things, it could be con- conceived in her mind that, oh, this is, I'm an inconvenience and you never want that. So I right. want to make sure that she is, she knows that this is something that we are mm-hmm. embracing wholeheartedly. You know, and I think, you know, given the, the realities of our aging population, more and more Gen Xers like me are going to have to start thinking that way. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's, like I said, there's so many things we have to think about now: climate, homelessness, elections, social unrest, blah, blah, blah. Parents, health, yeah. all things. But I think that is that is one thing that we are, as humans, as as Xers, are going to have to really understand and think about how can we prepare for that because it's coming. Whether there's she yeah. or he is seventy or eighty-three or eighty-five or older. With conditions or no conditions, you're going to have to start thinking about that. And that's, that's just an important reality.
1: I I love that you say that. I I think culturally, and and we talked about that earlier too, Sean, my daughter married a, a young man two years ago. He's Armenian and he's this, this whole culture that they take care of their loved ones and you know, he's saying to my daughter as they come back to our, their family home to visit from time to time, he'll say, you know, when, when we buy a place, we have to make sure we have room for our parents. And my daughter's like, "What?" <laughs> and she goes, he's very in tune. No, we will take, we're going to take care of you, mom. He calls me mom. It's really sweet and dear. And I go, well, you know, Zara, thank you so much. And I'm hoping I don't need care. Right. But you don't know. But from a cultural standpoint, his grandparents lived with them until they passed away. And and that's just how they did it. And and that's going to take some coaxing from my daughter because we did not do that. Not because I didn't want to. My mom didn't want it. But, <laughs> culture, yeah, but culturally, that's a big thing to him. It's really important that that's a consideration.
0: You have to think there's some diminishment in the culture when that degree of care is somehow no longer the norm. Yeah, I think we're losing something.
1: I think so too. We talk about whole person care, right? It's honoring them. It's it's honoring the legacy and, and it's building a legacy as well. And that truly, that's truly whole person care, right? When we start thinking outside of our own little egocentric thoughts. So, yeah yeah, I agree.
0: And, you know yeah. I, I want to say that it sa- it teaches uh, young people, or, or heck it teaches anybody, if you are living with someone who has over time a diminished capacity and you see the sort of loss of function, but you continue to love them, you continue to enjoy their company, mm-hmm. you continue to enjoy their sense of humor, you continue to learn from them it's very hard to dehumanize that person and see them as being less than when they're ill at towards the end of their life. Mm -hmm. You, you recognize that there's been a trajectory, there's been a glide path Mm -hmm. that they've been on and you've been with them throughout the course of that journey. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you rob yourself of that witness, if you're not around to see that glide path, Mm -hmm. then you're just presented with, you know, a very sick person in the bed then it's a little bit harder to wrap your your head around the situation and your arms around the person sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, that whole person care, Crystal, that yeah. you mentioned really does mean embracing them throughout that entire glide path. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you and your children, yeah. Kelby. Um, yeah. Will you stay in touch with us and uh, let us know how it goes? Absolutely, let's do this again. Maybe I'll get mom on. Yeah. Well, yes! maybe- Let's, let's make it a date for sometime next summer after you've got a couple months. Yeah. Over.
2: Perfect. in sold. <laughs>
1: I love that. that I, I want to hear a happy ending.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that it will be.
1: I think so too. I wish you the very best. And, and wow, what a great human being your mom's raised. Wow.
2: Thank yeah. you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, and this has been a real delight to talk to you guys. I've learned some stuff, shared some stuff, and I really appreciate the time.
0: Thanks to all of our guests today. Kelby Johnson is Content Strategy Director for Providence. Crystal Walsh is the Manager of Supportive Services for Providence Trinity Care Hospice. And Jennifer Liddell spoke with us about taking care of her mom in her home in South Bend, Indiana. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be marking the year of the nurse and what a year it's been. And we'll be talking about uh, healthcare as a ministry on the episode that we'll publish on Christmas Eve. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring on the web at instituteforhumancaring.org. Our stories are edited by Allison Jakes and Mike Addis and produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. We have research help from a team of medical librarians, including Heather Martin, Amanda Schwartz, Sarah Viscuso, and Seema Bhakta. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. Please help us out by sharing the word about this podcast. Let your friends know about us and tell them they can subscribe to the Hear Me Now podcast wherever they get their audio on demand. And thanks. I'm Sean Collins. Happy Thanksgiving. Be well.